Hi, welcome to Space Bros, the podcast for bad bitch sci-fi nerds. I'm Kate, and with me is the time-traveling legend from the future, Mary Johnston. What's up, girl? Hey. I'm time-traveling on this spaceship Earth constantly. I mean, yeah, I think that uh, I think that that's... That's kind of the message a little bit of of the little ditty we're talking about today. What are we talking about today, Mary? Today, we, I'm so excited about this. We are covering the first two trade paperbacks of the comic book series Paper Girls by Brian K. Vaughn. Huzzah! And this is a series that I would have not known about if we weren't doing this podcast, which is sort of fun. And I think one of the reasons you and I wanted to do this, apart from the fact that we lerve each other and lerve sci-fi and lerve feminism, is yeah. that, you know, it gives us kind of an excuse to to seek out and search for things that normally we might not come across. So um, do you want to give our first impressions? What did you think this was going to... So this was new to you and me. What yeah, neither did you of think? Us- Neither of us had read it. So um, I had zero expectations on it at all, like uh, some girl gang mystery shit, uh, which, yes, it is kind of. But here are the things that I love. Uh, The color palette is gorgeous. All my favorite colors. Uh, The fact that it is very girl centric. um, I think that a lot of media... uh, shows that we kind of hate teen girls or we hate everything that teen girls like. And so this narrative, a narrative that doesn't do that is always fun. Um, and even better, like, these are like teen girls that nobody cares about. Like, like yeah. 13 and 14 year old girls. Like, they're like the worst because like in terms of media, and this is just like cold and sad, but like we either want kids to be like little and precocious and cute or we want them to be like teenagers and like budding, budding on the edge, like on the edge yeah. of womanhood. Like we don't yeah. care. We don't care about that kind of like middle space. The tween. which I th- tweens, yeah. which I think is like kind of the most like like hard childhood you have. Oh, that is the worst part. I think that that's what I always loved about um when we were camp counselors at Nerd Camp was that yeah uh, we, we were in it. We were yeah. in the trenches, we were in the thick of it. We were in the trenches, boots on the yeah. ground, on like on like some crummy crummy times when you're like between 14 and 16 like those two years are tough yeah um, so i like the sleuthing the intergalacticness the time travel expanse um i like that like it, we're only on the tip of the iceberg there's some complaints i have about like what goes explained and what doesn't but but what we do see the flashes of uh reveal we get are so specific and so beautiful that you're after I read very... this the first time, like I like I'm still I was still enthralled by those images. So yeah, it's hard I, to complain. I I so I kind of went into this expecting it because I had read some hype, so I knew it was mm-hmm. supposed to be good, and it's like critically lauded and has won awards. Um, yeah, but so I thought it was going to be a mashup. Like if you took the cast of uh, another comic book series, uh, Lumberjanes. And mm-hmm. dropped them into like the Stranger Things story, basically. Ooh. And I, which like is very high. Like I love both of those pieces of yeah. media. Yeah. So I like my expectations were set pretty high for this. Like, yeah. I, and I would say that it exceeded, but more importantly, subverted my already high expectations numerous yeah, I, times. Totally. This. So totally. Um, yeah, so, that's awesome. Yeah. So I will tell you guys. I'll give you a little brief overview. Um, Please do. Of what the story is about. So um, it's about four paper girls named Aaron, Mac, KJ, and Tiffany. They're tween age 
Um, they're kind of like 12, 13, 14 in that range. Uh, and they all live in a Cleveland suburb and are waking up early um, on November 1st, 1988, around 4 a.m. to start their t- toughest delivery shift of the year, the, the kind of the in-between, the, the wee hours of Halloween morning. And um, so they meet up and um, Tiffany has these walkie-talkies that they use to communicate with each other. And her- um, yeah, I love that they're more than walkie talkies. Sorry, um, cheap, realistic TRC two eighteen CV. <laughs> she gives you all the stats. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of her walkie talkies is stolen by a group of what they assume, and we as the reader also assume, are uh, teenagers in Halloween costumes. The girls decide to take matters into their own hands and track the group to abandoned construction site, where when what they and they find there a uh, what appears to be a time machine. The girls find out the teenagers are mutant time travelers from the distant future who are engaged in an ongoing war with a group known as the Old Timers um, over whether or not the past can and should be changed by future time travelers, with the teens falling on the pro-change things for the better side. And the Old Timers um, are against that. They think that everything should fall out the way it was supposed to, quote-unquote. Grandfather which is two words, is the head of the old timers, and he's the primary antagonist over the course of these two books um, as he pursues these girls across time, uh, across many timelines as they jump to different years. We learned in trade two that the girls, uh, that he's doing this because the girls threaten his rule because their interaction with the first time machine gives them the unique ability to travel through time undetected so they can kind of hop between timelines and the old timers can't keep tabs on them the way that they would keep track of normal time travelers. Mm-hmm. So this is an ongoing series. And so far we've seen the girls travel between um, 1988, which is like kind of their start point, to 2000 to 2016. And in other books, apparently they're going to travel to uh, the distant past and the distant future. And as they travel through time, they encounter future versions of themselves and are forced to come to terms with who they will become and what happens to their personhood along the way of this experience. So that's kind of in a nutshell what we read about. Yeah. I would like to add uh, just as um, just a little thought that I like that there's kind of um, a bit of ambiguity about who is the good guy, who's the bad guy. I think obviously the old timers aren't good, but it's a, it's hard to know the motivations or at least the context of what's actually happening with the mutant teenagers in that generation. So it's hard to know like, what exactly they're doing, but there's this great line where um, the mutant teenagers have tried to um, save Aaron's life, and when asked, uh, when Aaron asks, like, "Why did you do all this for me?" Uh, he says, "Kids just trying to make a living are always the good guys," Aww. and I do yeah. feel like that was a good like summation of like maybe we don't know everything, maybe we don't know all intentions, but at the root of it. The kids just trying to make a living are the good guys. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I think that the we find out things the way that the paper girls find out things, which I think kind of instantly bonds them to us. Mm -hmm. And additionally, they have really, really strong characterization. So it's a it's a fun way to learn about 
as they learn stuff, you learn things about them. So I think we should go through just like a quick rundown and kind of give our like high level impressions and and kind of characterizations of the four main characters, uh, starting with Aaron. Yeah. So I think she's like situated as the main character, at least in the first two trades. I'm, I think that they're going to probably do some like context shifting uh, over the course of the series, but I think she's like kind of our, our conduit into this world. Yeah, and she, that does seem to be the case. And she is kind of a classic like good kid, you know? <laughs> she like loves her family and like cares a lot about her little sister and doesn't have as quite as many friends as one would expect her to do for like being as like kind of like cool a person as she is. But it's because she's kind of like a square, <laughs> you know? She doesn't behave. Yeah, she, she a do- super shy square. Yeah, and she's shy and she doesn't engage with like kind of like bad kid behavior um, and actually like and doesn't seem to mind like proving how square she is by calling other people out. Like she's very well, it's square. Like, it's it's when she first meets like uh, the, the next character we're going to talk about, uh, Mac, like first impressions. She clearly is like awestruck, clearly likes Mac and then it's like, why are you smoking? It's yeah. just like... <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, I love that she doesn't have a filter even to, like, impress someone. <laughs> it's great. It's awesome. Yeah. I have a uh, a passage that I think kind of purpose- perfectly encapsulates her and the person that you know she's going to become and we see her become. So... Mm-hmm. Erin uh, meets her future adult self, who is still living in Cleveland and still works at the same paper. And um, the girls are very are kind of hoping that they can get back to their timeline. They want to go back to uh, 1988. And adult Erin, after confirming that this girl really is her past self, um, is helping them out, but is becoming kind of annoyed and like overwhelmed by this experience. Um, and so, paper girl Erin says. Something about along the lines of, um, you know, we have to try. We have to try whatever we can to get back to our home in '88. And adult Aaron says, '88, Christ, everything about that hurts my brain." And she pulls out a prescription bottle and shakes out like a little oval pill, and pops it. And baby Aaron says, "Are those drugs?" Adult Aaron, yes. Chill. It's just a Xanax. I have a prescription. Uh, Paper Girl Aaron. What the heck is a Xanax spelled with a Z? Are you okay? Are we sick? Adult Aaron. It's for anxiety, which is clearly not a recent problem. <laughs> yeah, I had that flag too. I loved that exchange. So let's talk about Mac. Yeah. So I would like to say that um, the first time we meet Mac is this 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 morning where uh, all the bad, all the older kids are out, like, harassing people. Basically, um, this guy's being really rapey to Aaron, and these other paper girls, like, pull up, and our dear Mac says, first, first lines, cool costume, faggot, um, and then, like, calls him an AIDS patient, and I was like, Max obviously gay, right? So like, w- like maybe like she thinks it's okay to say these things. Like this is literally what my notes all said. Um, and I'm gonna go on a limb and say Max still gay, internalized homophobia. There's nothing in the series that confirms this, but uh, that was first impression is a girl too tough, had too hard of a life, and has put on this exterior shell that kind of to insulate herself, but still manages to have, like, deep connections with these other 
women. Yeah, I mean, I think that she's she kind of has that air. She's like a classic like bad girl or kid yeah. from the wrong side of the tracks. Like, you know, she kind of she has these um, tellingly she has this interaction with a cop. Where, like, an adult police officer cruising around, yeah. uh, the like, in the wee hours uh, after Halloween um, pulls up and he says, I've got multiple reports of someone smashing windows in this development. And Max says, so what? So you getting into the family business? I don't know what you're talking about, man. You address me as officer, young lady. Put out that cigarette before I write you up. There's no law against me having smokes. But there is one against underage brats like you buying them. Good things I got. Good thing I got these trick or treating. Ah, this is Aaron coming in. Ah, I've been with Mackenzie all night, officer, and she hasn't done anything wrong. And the cop looks, <laughs> kind of looks at both of them askance and says, "Keep it up, Clody. Sooner or later." And Mac yells after him, "Sooner or later, what?" And then Aaron says, which is another one, "You know." The police know you by name, <laughs> which is an yeah. awesome moment. Scandalized, <laughs> scandalized. Which actually, I mean, like to know a thirteen-year-old girl. But so we get this sense, we get this sense that she kind of has like her family is from the wrong side of the tracks in the small community. People, people think that she's trash and that yeah. she's just going to lead to a life of crime, and she's both bucking against that and sort of like living up to that expectation like she manages because that that's expectation. what you do like it becomes like yeah. a trap that like you almost can't help but fulfill while simultaneously she is a good kid she's working a job like she's trying yep. to like contribute to society which is more than we can say about lots of humans yeah and we find out over the course of these two books that she has a like most bad girls quote-unquote she has like a loyal and sensitive soul that yeah that that seeks the same sort of community and friendship and kindness that anybody else does. Totally. Um, okay. So I know some stuff about the queer aspects of this book because I spoiled myself, unlike potentially you, who's a better reader of literature than I am. I did not spoil myself. I've only read the first two volumes. And that's why you keep on saying they meet older versions of themselves. I'm like, well, we only meet one of them this time. Yeah. But uh... Do you want me to spoil you on that? Account. Uh, we can cut it out too, but yeah, just about Mackenzie being gay. Mackenzie's obviously gay, right? Mackenzie, Mackenzie probably is gay. The last okay. bit of spoiler I read is that KJ is explicitly gay, and cool. she gets a crush on Mac and like comes to her and is like, "Look, you just need to know that like I have these feelings for you." And Mac is like kind of forced to deal with potentially her own feelings towards KJ and also yeah. like mixing with like the homophobia that has come with her upbringing and yeah. like and like her viewpoint on the world. So I think probably they're going to be in a relationship, but definitely KJ is explicitly gay in the series. Cool. Yeah, I I think it's really I'm I'm excited to talk more about uh Mac cuz uh this homophobia, I wanted to bring it up in the beginning because it comes up a couple times in the story and oh, yeah. her evolution of how she thinks about these guys were like when she's talking to older Aaron and it's like, show some respect. They died saving their life instead of being like, like calling them like gross and freaks like she does initially. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that no. kind of. Yeah. She's a good kid. She's yeah. a great kid. I love no. her. Um, anyway. So uh, Katrina or KJ is our third member and she's kind of like the affluent and cultured girl of the group you can tell she comes from like kind of like a rich family 
Like she and she throws around. She goes to private school. She plays field hockey. And it's like a it's like a private school that's not a religious uh, affiliation. So, you know, it's like high academics. She goes to Buttonwood Academy Um, and she always has her field hockey stick with her because this is, you know, like this is still like kind of a pulpy story about kids. Um, And she has occasionally uses a weapon, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. I would say we don't know a ton about KJ in these first two trades, which is sad um, because she seems like a cool character. But, um, you know, she kind of – she's missing for a lot of trade, too. Yeah. So I was going to say, she kind of goes MIA, so. Yeah. But um, but she's going to be a bigger par- part of, I think, the, f- the f- future of the series. Um, and she seems to have, like, a close relationship with the last girl we'll talk about, Tiffany. They seem to be, like – Kind of like BFFs. They're yeah, they're like, or at least they're like old friends. Like they've known each other yeah. a long time. And then these two other girls are like work associates that become more like more entrenched, and then they become kind of a full on um, girl gang. Yeah. Um, but she, you can t- you the little nuggets that are there are very delightful. She's kind of uh, she's very cultured. She's mm-hmm. references. Um, Orwell and Shakespeare and things like that. And the yeah. girls kind of go like, what? Which is funny. <laughs> for just funny for me as a person, as a child who also did those sorts of things. Sure. Um, so I, I, fe- I felt a kinship with KJ, even though we only get a teeny little glimpse of her. Yeah. I agree. Um, in fact, one of my favorite KJ moments from the beginning actually uh, is in related to our next character, Tiffany. So just as a little intro to, to her, it's when, uh, it's when, Aaron is pleased to be talking to Mackenzie and is like, oh, you were like one of the first paper girls. And Tiffany says, um, hey, I was the first altar girl long before Mac took over her brother's route. And KJ says, yeah, Tiffany's like the Amelia Earhart of crap that doesn't matter. And I just (laughs) thought that was really charming. That's one of my favorite KJ moments because both referencing Amelia Earhart and being like, and it doesn't fucking matter. It's great. (laughs) That's really funny. I also like, um, so Mac kind of, you know, has his like peppered speech. And as you alluded to, like, you know, she, she starts off at a very homophobic place. Then they meet these teenage mutants who like sexual politics has obviously evolved enough so that like had like one of them is gay and it's just not a big deal like he's like oh yeah it's a big deal in your timeline right that i'm gay it's it's not a big deal in mine um yeah no he he says uh, don't worry about it you guys are from an effed up time which felt pretty pretty real yeah so um so mac is sort of scandalized or at least like verbally scandalized that these guys are are well this one of these guys is gay and um but they've got to follow him because, you know, like one of their friends is hurt and they're helping him. And she says, so we're going to follow these two perverts into the woods at night. You know how this joke ends, right? And KJ fully shuts her down with a, will you quit it with that? You sound like my racist uncle. Besides, these perverts just saved our lives. Yep. I love that KJ moment. Yep. No, that's good. That's um, all good. So next we have Tiffany. Oh, my God, Tiffany, who I also love. They're all great. They're all great. I think that she's like, she's the leader, I would argue, of the group. She's like the most savvy. She like, she like keeps people together. She's a very level head. 
Um, yeah. She values, and I think she sets the tone for community in this, where she values the group's safety, but is yeah. also willing to take risks if it's for, like, the good of her friends or, like, if it's a risk. Like, if one of them is in trouble, she'll take that risk. But if it's just, like, kind of stupid or, like, unnecessary danger, she's like, miss me with that. <laughs> like, let's get out of here. Yeah. She's, she's kind of like a happy medium between um, Aaron's sweetness and Max's toughness. Like, she yeah, falls exactly. in the she, middle. She's balanced. Yeah. And a good friend. And a good friend. It's revealed that um, because these three have kind of banded together and deliver uh, the hell route together because it's such a crazy route anyway and they wanted to keep each other safe, which is really nice. It's like a nice yeah. little moment where you realize that this community has already sort of organically formed even without there being extenuating circumstances, which... Yeah. Yeah, which I think we want to kind of talk about a little bit the... Um, Communities and loyalty, I think, is a huge among women is like a huge theme in the story, and potentially like the 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 main uh, driving force behind all of these characters. Yeah, I'd say that um, this uh, trust and uh, exploration with friends, um, the friendships, the center, the friendships, the hardcore center of the story, and it's and that's what's great. I would push back a little bit on um, you just said. I believe that they they already had a community without like extenuating circumstances. What I kind of liked about this was that they kind of are like the roots of this initial bond is safety. The root of the initial bond is like mm-hmm. like the stakes are set initially. And so it's like you already know why they're bonded because they're rapey dudes out there and they're safer in numbers. Um, yeah, I guess that's what I meant. I mean, like. They didn't need, like, there's so many stories where it's like, and these people who would never get along in real life are thrust together. Like, they're not, like, abandoned on, like, a desert island. They didn't need that. They they just needed to be the people that they currently are, like, that morning in 1988. And they still recognized that they were, like, important allies and needed each other. You know? Yeah, no. it's And I think that that's what um, is really strong about... This piece in terms of being about women, uh, the the very basis of I think that this community is also between women, friendship, female friendship. I think part of it is you understand this thing that I deal with every day in a way that I don't have to explain it to you. Like we don't have to have a conversation that we're sticking together because dudes are rapey and it's kind of scary here. We just know. Right. Like, there's this shared experience. And... Um, that's the beginning of our exploration of their community and friendship, and that felt very real, surprisingly real, for a series written primarily by, no, only by dudes. Yeah, well, and created by the guy who draws yeah. it's a dude. Like, they're all they're all dudes, which is not, which I say, you know, kudos to them. We, yeah, you know, totally. We need, we need all of that we can get. I'll take any feminist literature that I can get that's, that's this good. Like, I, I'm super happy to have it. But I, I was surprised by that, too. I thought that um, it, it felt all very real to me. Um, me, too. And so I kind of looked into this group of dudes to see what they had to say for themselves. So Brian Vaughn is the writer. And he said, I wanted to take a chance. 
I always enjoyed writing female characters, but sometimes it feels that even when they're protagonists, they're still defined by their relationships with male characters. I wanted to write about girls who could just be characters on their own, who weren't defined by their interactions with men. He basically was like, I want a comic book that passes the Bechdel test. That's Mm -hmm. what I want to do. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Um, which is great. And and I would even say, I think that they really get it. What I really like about what you were saying about safety is that it doesn't get in the way of this being like a high adventure story. Like, right. Like usually it's sort of like kind of magic school bus rules where you have like sort of like a what, which by the way, love Miss Frizzle. Like don't, no, this is pure yeah, respect. No, no shade. <laughs> yeah. Liz the lizard, you're my, you're my home girl. It's all good. But the um, but you usually have in children's literature you have sort of like this like kind of wild and crazy leader who will like take you anywhere and like do exciting things with you, but you kind of know has like some foot like hovering over the break a little bit, and then right. the kids are like either like all in on the adventure, and then there's always one kid that's like, mm, can't we just go to the museum like we're supposed to, and we're supposed to think <laughs> that kid sucks, like, yeah. and so. Yep. So to have, like, to have the voice of, like, reason and safety come from a child and then be, like, mutually agreed on at at its core by a bunch of other children, and then they still get to have, like, a rad adventure and they still are brave and do cool stuff. Yeah, they're all brave. They all are all in. Like, none of them are – yeah, they're they're incredibly brave, fierce women – um, while still acknowledging the reality of situations. Um, right. They're the, not foolhardy. No. And the the concept of safety and like and keeping each other safe and caring about each other is not considered like like a bummer. It's like yeah. it's it's what the point is. It's why we yeah. go on the adventure. <laughs> like Exactly. No, exactly. Um Yeah. Awesome. I did think though, so like that's not to say that these people are, and we, we've alluded to this with uh, with Max, certainly, but these people are not, there aren't, they're not, like, whistle clean. Like, you know, nope. we, when we talked about this before, in Lumberjanes, those characters, which is, again, love it, great, great love stuff. It. Love really it. It's really great. Read it if you haven't. It's totally worth your time. Wonderful. But those characters are sort of like emblematic, like squeaky clean. Like if we, you know, if you could, if you could build like a dream team of like feminist messaging and characters, that would be. Where everyone is the best version of themselves like 90% of the time. Yeah. Um, But these people are more realistic and in a mm -hmm. painful way, they're flawed. Like. Yeah. And it ranges from it ranges from like the benign, which is like how Aaron is kind of embarrassingly milk toasty, um, <laughs> to like to like cringeworthy when you have like Max crude homophobia, which you know is like you know going to like play out over the course of this story in one way or another. Um, but they don't they don't necessarily. It's not like they celebrate those aspects of the characters, but they don't shy away from them either. You see them, and that's part of who they are as people. Which is interesting. Right. It, in fact, um, it's it it goes further than not being celebrated to the other characters. They call each other out. They hold each other accountable, which also is really great messaging because that is exactly what we all need to be doing. And so by not backing down, like like Aaron might be kind of a square, but Aaron has like she's she's brave. She will tell ex- everyone exactly how she feels. KJ shuts Mac down when Mac says dumb things like it that's a real strength and no one is right all the time 
it's not nope. like it's not like you have like kind of not everything is a teachable moment. Like you have these kind of policing, but it's in a way of being like, you know, uh, KJ can police Mac on her homophobia and be like, don't say that. That just makes you sound stupid. But it doesn't mean that she doesn't like love and respect her as a person. Yeah, absolutely. it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that Mac's out of her club. Like she's still in the community. It's just she's like, if you're going to hang in my community, you fix that. Like, yeah. that's how this that's how this goes. Um, which I think is also really like nice and and very supportive and and frankly, uh, maybe that is actually sort of like maybe that's like the fantasy of it when you read it. I don't think that unfortunately I think it's really hard for people to get to that point with a community where you can um, police people in a way that they don't is non threatening like, right yeah. they don't feel alienated and they don't like just like blow up or you don't feel like well if I do police them then they're gonna get really mad and then that'll make everything weird so I'm just gonna like smile but I hate it yeah it's, yeah it's... no absolutely yeah um, I um, oh go ahead I be, just because we're talking about community and loyalty and we've kind of touched on this uh, I do want to bring up that. So I'm sure we'll talk about it somewhere else. Uh, but when the girls first realize that all hell is breaking loose after seeing this spaceship thing in a basement and monsters are coming and a rapture type event has occurred because everybody's just like disappearing. Uh, they go first. Sorry. Right. They go first to Aaron's house. Aaron's parents and sister are gone. So then they go to Max's house because Max's dad has a gun. And I like the I like this. I like the like extreme swing of that pendulum because you know they go to Aaron's house yeah. because like Aaron has the parents and warm and yeah. like cookies and oven or something totally Aaron or like definitely Aaron has like parents that are probably like a little too involved like you know yep. so you go to like the Uber parents and then when that doesn't work out they're going to Max family who probably have no idea whether or not she's home or not like oh my god no for sure so her no idea where her dad is um apparently he disappeared her stepmom is there who she initially is kind of like oh, my stepmom but uh but her stepmom's clearly drunk and a little bit out of her mind and is waving around a gun and points it at Mac at one point and says that um I hated being 12. Back in 65, I wanted to grow up fast so everything would finally be good, you know? But the truth is, life was actually way better back then. Turns out the older you get, the more everything just turns to shit. Your girl is so lucky that you'll never have to find that out. And, like, puts a gun up to her head, and Max says, you can't do this, but I love you, Mom. I love, And it's just, like, this tragic moment, which all leads us to realizing that Mac accidentally just shot Aaron. And the evolution of, like, Mac calling Aaron new kid, and they all kind of call Aaron new kid, to when they start using Aaron's name, like, when Aaron gets hurt, like, when they're trying to, like, find, like, get her help, like, go to a hospital, like, that kind of immediacy of danger escalates things to a much more intimate level in such a caring and genuine way. It's not like, I'm worried I'm going to get in trouble. It's like, how do we fix this? Because we don't want anything bad to happen to this person, you know? Yeah. I think it also sort of like that's all earned. There is like a yeah. kind of a sense of like earning your place in a you're already in the community, but if you want to like earn like your your kind of like the place that you stand, your place yeah. at the table permanently, there is like a kind of a sense of 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 the trust and and coming to having shared experiences that are intense <laughs> with one another. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's a lot of uh youth and friendships um because 
you trying all sorts of things for the first time and testing danger limits. And eventually you have those experiences, um, obviously, hopefully not shooting your friends. But um, but I do think that's part of being young since this book is so concerned with uh, the duality of young versus old. Right. And I think what's really cool, too, about this community is that there is, by fracturing their identities, by having, like, Aaron meet herself in the future, and you kind of know they're the same person, but they're also kind of not, because they're separated by so much time, that you get this sense of being able to not only... it, It really drives home that potentially you need to trust your friends above yourself when it comes to certain things because you don't have the immediate perspective. And, like, the thing I always think about is um, if my friend is beating herself up about something, like, is just like, man, like, why why am I not more driven? Or, like, why am I not, like, taking better care of myself? Or, like, you know, the kind of stuff that 30-something, late 20s, early 30s ladies beat themselves up over. Obviously, um, I've never called Mary and said anything like that because I'm the perfect, well-balanced person who never needs to talking up for my friend. JK. Anyway, continue. Um, <laughs> and the thing that I always think about is, like, when I hear my friends say those sorts of things, I'm like, no, no way, girl. Like, you've got this way more. And, like, the stuff you deal with is hard and it's okay and you're really doing the best you can. And that's all you ever have to do. Like, you don't yeah. you don't have to be so perfect all the time. Like, it's sort of that... that uh, objectivity and kindness that comes with it and also like able to assess the full situation like see the full picture versus the immediacy of where you're at and they play with that idea in kind of a cool way where like a couple of times in the book but you really get the sense that Aaron figures out that these girls know stuff and are like more experienced in the world than she is and you see her start to trust their assessment of situations above her own um, yeah. especially where towards the, like, kind of the, the peak of the drama in trade to, um, Aaron and the groups and, uh, Aaron and Tiffany and Mac are separated from KJ, um, and they're sent to, uh, 2016. And yeah. all three of them are very, like, th- their main goal is to get back to their timeline and find KJ. Those are, like, the things that they want to do. Yeah. So... They enlist the help of middle-aged Aaron, who's still living in Cleveland. They run into her to help them find to help them find KJ and return them to their timeline. And in the middle of it, Paper Girl Aaron, so 13-year-old Aaron, um, r- finds KJ's field hockey stick kind of like hanging out of this like time port thing. Yeah. And she pulls it down and she sees that carved into it is don't trust other Aaron. And you know immediately that Aaron trust that KJ has insight into the situation just by, like, just by the strength of their community alone. That, like, she does not immediately think, well, of course other Aaron is fine because other Aaron is me. She recognizes that, like, KJ has information which she doesn't have. And by by way of, and we'll, we'll get into further how this all plays out later on, but by way of that message the group is reunited and saves themselves. Like, <laughs> so, yeah. so the idea of trusting other people is, is, is placed as a, as a good thing. Um, yeah. Explicitly so when, um, and I can read from it. Let me find it. But this idea of like blending timelines and time travel 
is much deeper than just being kind of like a cool party trick. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think that we have sort of a view of this childhood friendship through the lens of an older person. Yeah. Um, and we get that explicitly when um, middle-aged Aaron, who turns out to be, by the way, a trustworthy Aaron. Um, I would like to just say, I think you're literally about to read the thing that I have marked that I was literally about, which is funny and perfect. Anyway, go oh, ahead. Oh, you should read it. If you've got no, it no, marked. No, 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 no. You read it. Um, okay. So older Aaron says to young Aaron, um, I can't go with you. I can't get, uh, I don't get what's going on out there, but it's, but it's happening in my time. Missy and I, that's her little sister, need to stick around and help whoever we can. Which also, by the way, harkens back to community. Mm-hmm. And um, younger Aaron says, I wish there was something I could do for you. You know, pay you back or something. And uh, older Aaron says, hey, want to do something for me? For us? You stay friends with these girls. I honestly don't think I've ever talked to any other paper girl after that hell morning back in 88. I, I was never, never brave enough to put myself out there and try to get to know badass kids like this. This world is a terrifying place, more than I've ever realized. But if I had to do my whole life over again, that's the, literally the only thing I would change. I'd stop being so afraid of other people. And it's... Yeah, which... Perfect. I, no, I, I think that's a perfect moment. And, and it's, you know, leading into our, our talk about uh, time travel, just being able to see this moment where when they meet older Aaron, it's not like a great moment in her life. Um, she's not particularly happy with where she is. And young Aaron, it's kind of like, this is our life. What? But like to, I feel like the implication there is that through the friendship of others, through trusting others, through being in this community, that kind of thing can change your life. Um, to be fair, I loved when, uh, older Aaron is, says when Aaron asks, like young Aaron's like, who are you calling? She says, our best friend, and it's her sister. It's her little sister. It's the sweetest thing in the world, but it, um, it is yeah. really sweet. I um, I like this too, but it, like I liked kind of like childhood friendship through the experience, through the lens of the experience of adulthood. Um, it reminded me of um, a line from uh, a boy least likely to uh, Christmas song, which I adore, called George and mm-hmm. Andrew. And mm-hmm. they say, you never make friends like the friends you make when you're young. And I believe that. I think that that is a thing where, like, when you yeah. when you meet people and you bond with people in that way, there's less, there's less like, cruff around your relationship with them. Um, you don't, you know, it's not like, well, this is my friend and I met them through work and I, like, needed someone to eat lunch with. So now I'm friends with them. And then, you know, like, and, and now yeah, we're no, real you, friends. You're- you're really choosing people because there are so many humans around you that you're interacting with that yeah. like to to maintain that kind of a friendship is an act of love and choice. And I also want to say that I send that song to Kate every Christmas because we yeah. are she's my oldest and dearest friend. Yeah, um, Mary's my oldest and dearest friend. What? We're sentimental about friendship and sci-fi. Welcome to our podcast, <laughs> bitches. Welcome to our podcast. <laughs> Um, but yeah, let's do, let's jump into the time traveliness of it all. Um, awesome, because I think that it's very it's like a to- it's totally unlike any other time travel story that I have ever read, Agreed. seen, known about anything like that. So I kind of want to 
kick this off with something that's a little bit less time travel, and that way that's why I want to get it out of the way first, but it is relevant to the time travel. Oh, sure. What's really what's really cool about this story, uh, to me, is this battle, this very explicit tension between the young and the old. And that is a tension that goes back in literature, like to the Greek drama. Um, there's always this idea of the youth prevailing over the old and that being like this this tension. So to have to have them go bat forward in time and meet older Aaron and and have that juxtaposition, uh, it just pulls on such a great literary tradi- tradition while also getting at something that um, that I mentioned earlier, this uh, getting at that concept of what would your younger self think about you if they saw you. Um, everyone, like all of the girls pretty much think that uh, older Aaron is like a little bit mentally unhinged and crazy because she takes Xanax and she doesn't seem particularly happy. But there is this like beautiful moment uh, where they're walking down the street together, old Aaron and uh, young Aaron. Um, and she said, I can only older Aaron says, I can only imagine what must be going through your head, seeing that we wind up being some fat, unwed loser with a dead end job. And young Aaron says, you're not fat. Gross. That sounds like something dad would say. And your haircut is cool. And I love your shirt. And I'm relieved we're not married. We can still go anywhere, do anything we want. I'm just worried that you're... And then she runs into older Aaron because older Aaron has stopped and hugs her. And it's this really sweet moment of, like, subverting this this tension that we see of, like, the young and the old prevailing to this younger self uh, helping unlock a piece of self-love that this older Aaron has lost. It's very... Very touching. So anyway, time travel. That that was a really cool use of time travel, guys. I don't think anything else has ever done that. I would agree. Um, I like that the role uh, nostalgia plays in the story, too. So when, like, kind of going into this, the reason I thought it was going to be like Stranger Things is I knew it was set um, in the year of You Are In My Birth, 88. Yeah. Um, and You're the dragon. Yeah, <laughs> you're the dragon. <laughs> Woo! Sorry. <laughs> Obviously, there are kind of like set pieces which reminded me of Stranger Things in that way, like the like the the Bush election signs and um, like kind of like all these like like Freddy Krueger Halloween costumes and those sorts of things kind of put you in a time and place. But what's even better is that I think it's like highly effective nostalgia in that it's like not san it's not like sanitized childhood. Yeah, yeah, um, and. It Do you want to give of, an example of that? Oh, sure. Like the fact that the fact that these children have like a sometime unhappy home lives, or yeah. and it's not just like cartoony. Like it's not like yeah. it. It is the opposite of Stephen King. All offense yeah. to Stephen King meant. All, all offense meant. <laughs> all offense meant. It's the opposite. Where like like I I thought a lot about Stand by Me with this too, and I thought about how like. Paper Girls is never going to have that moment where you see them all walking home at the end and they're like, Billy died in Vietnam. Like, it's not that's not going <laughs> to yeah. that's not going to yeah. happen because, like, there's sort of this sense of, like, immediacy in now. And it doesn't matter that, like, some of the characters, like, what is going to happen to some of the characters? Because, like, right now they got to, like, figure out how to avoid <laughs> how to avoid, like, people who are coming for him. It's not. Absolutely. Right. And, like, you get the sense that, like, you know, it's not like. They don't neatly fit into little boxes. Yeah. Um, and I think that that primes you really well for the comments that are made about um, 
childhood and time travel later on. Like, mm-hmm. and I, I, I kind of reference this in the beginning, but I think it's really cool that it centers on on tweens instead of like later teens. Yeah. Um, and mostly because because of like sexuality. Like, we know that sexuality is going to be a bigger deal later on in the series, just because we we have kind of this like Chekhov's gun of max homophobia. <laughs> Like yeah, we totally. know we know that that's going to become a thing. You don't hang homophobia on the wall if you're not going to use it. That's right. <laughs> right. Like if homophobia <laughs> is in the first act, it's going to have to go off in the third. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> you you uh, you have like the first scene where Aaron is um, is on her paper route and she's approached by some older boys who are kind of like talking to her and like and and being sexually aggressive with her. It's genuinely shocking. Like yeah, like the the reader is put in a place where they are immediately on the offense against sexualizing the outside world, sexualizing these girls, and. The fact that like, and then then that, and then it allows that space where like, oh, but like they are sexual beings, and they're gonna like kind of like discover that about themselves feels Absolutely. so much more like natural and normal and healthy and real, yeah, yeah. But like, but like that is the way it feels when you are a kid and you are presented with a situation where someone is clearly sexualizing you. Like you don't really know what to do with it, and you're like kind of rev- like it's revolting. <laughs> like you're like, yeah. oh no, 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 that's not. Like a that's piece not what of I mean. Yeah, that's not fully yeah. cooked yet. Like I can't, yeah. I can't deal with that. I can't access that. Yeah, it is also the exact opposite of Riverdale. This book. Oh my god, so much, so much the opposite of Riverdale, or as you and Andrew call it, the most handsome boy in the world. <laughs> yes, because everyone is just like that. Archie Andrews, he's really handsome and sexy, I and you're like literally you're wanted to gift so many moments of like, oh. of like. Harem, like just looking at him, like like approvingly and smoldering. Like right. everybody, there's so, <laughs> so many moments where you can get people like just looking at uh, Archie and being like, "Wow, wow, sexy boy! What a what a <laughs> pinnacle! So what a pinnacle weird. of sexual man achievement!" And you're like, "He is your son, weirdo! Oh, yeah. Calm down, get it yeah. together!" Yeah. But uh, so the the writers themselves said that they wanted to kind of smash the rosy lenses of childhood, like like the rose colored glasses that people look at childhood, um, and make being twelve feel exactly as like dangerous and exciting as it as it was when you were twelve. Um, yeah. And it comes like, and it comes from like kind of tiny things that are exciting, like when the when the characters swear, you're kind of like, oh, like it's like exciting, which is funny yeah. as yeah. adults to feel that way. But it was how you felt when you were twelve, totally, and, and like kind of relish these unsupervised moments of childhood. Um, yeah, the fact that like they they're taking on like these adult roles, like like when they're driving the car with uh, Aaron in the back seat, like bleeding out, like. Yeah, the stakes are high, but, like, it's still, like, this intense freedom and agency that uh, you feel when you're young, but that is not allowed to you, you know? Like, that's a te- that's why it's so hard, is that you feel like you can think logically. Your cognitive brain is working. Why is everyone treating me like I can't? And so when you have those moments, yeah, it feels like nothing else. Yeah, and the kids are, like, both invincible and also, like, obviously quite vulnerable at all quite times. Quite vulnerable. <laughs> yeah. At all times. But, like, they, but they have this sort of, like, like latchkey uh, invincibility about them. 
that yeah. that is so nostalgic. Like you don't, I mean, you don't, you just don't have that now. Like yeah, like we, you know, we wouldn't if you were the mother of a uh, of a twelve year old girl. No, she's not getting up at 4 a.m. to go right around the neighborhood and throw things on in strangers. In the dark alone? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely this, not. <clears throat> is this even a... a it, it's really cool that it's set in 1988 for a number of reasons. But one of them is uh, Max says we're a dying breed, talking about paper girls. And genuinely, do, do kids do that? Or is it adults like in cars throwing them out their window now? Because that's, that's who my... Well, I don't get the paper because I'm a millennial right. and I'm ruining everything. But... Um, <laughs> The, uh, definitely, our our paper our paper boy is a full grown man. Um, yeah, <laughs> driving around forty in, old man. Yeah, yeah. driving it's around in like a beat up Dodge Charger. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's 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 who our paper boy is. Um, yeah. So it's it is cool that they put it back in 1988 because it it is it's an illicit moment and something that is not accessible now. And what's also cool about it is by like having. By going that far back and then having the present tense also be kind of the past because we have, like, the future, it almost, like, lends credence to the fact that, like, this is what the future could look like because that is what the past looked like and this is what the present looks like. So, you know, it it tracks. You know, does that make sense? That makes absolute sense. I didn't even think about it in those terms, but, like, it's um, you're you gain validity because yeah. you are... You are showing the present as we understand it to be while yeah. still presenting sort of a fantastic f- child's fantasy version of of the past. And you're placing it all within the lens of nostalgia. So it's, be- it, yeah. it's very satisfying to see. It is um, very satisfying. I love that trick. I mean, that's not that is like the oldest trick in the books with time travel. It's like set the person in the far past so they can come forward. and We don't have to worry about creepy robots. Um, mm-hmm. Like that's like very very <laughs> yeah. standard. I, I didn't feel like it was cheap in this because you know that yeah. we're gonna go into the far future and like the future, the future is kind of like muddled up in all of the presents that we are yeah. presented with. So it doesn't feel cheap, but it does. Um, it does, of course, allow for the the meeting of your future self, which is like the coolest, one of the cooler aspects of this. And we also get like little dips into the future, like um, an, a good example of that would be like when the teenage boys tell Mac that she lives in an effed up time and yeah. that like there's in no way in their time period is homophobia a thing. Like being gay is just like normal. It's not a big deal. So, but it that's is- a... It is hilarious to have uh, these time-traveling mutant teenagers that are, like, fighting for, like, their lives and, like, clearly have had, like, weird hard lives being like, it's okay. You live in an effed up time. It's like, really, bro? Like, I'm glad we're past homophobia, but, like, what is your time like? Yeah. Totally. Sorry. Um, But I think, like, kind of the intermingling of our present nostalgic past and alien future but that has shades of things that we can almost see like we can almost grasp it in our time allows um vaughn to like set this perfect storytelling trap where they like promise when you on the surface you are promised sort of like like uh like a listening to the eagles experience where you're just kind of like cozy and it's easy and you're like kind of just like floating along on the high of nostalgia you don't really have to think about it but this like 
pulls you promptly back down and is like, yeah, the nostalgia that you remember, it was not easy. Like, it was hard then, too. Also, you're yeah. also this is what's going to happen to you. That, that little child that you remember in the past is going to become someone who's really unhappy with their job and, like, probably in their place in life. So, you know, that's going to happen. And also there's sort of this, like, nebulous, terrifying future that's always flitting around the corners and kind of bleeding into our current timeline that's that's kind of looming there. And um, it's fun. It's very fun and, yeah. and refreshing to read about that. I think also there's sort of a kind of a, a dichotomy in this where it's a time-traveling story that also is telling you that, like, the future is what you're striving for and that it's dangerous to linger too long in the past or linger in too long on the things that are supposed to be. Um, yeah. And who gets to decide what gets what is supposed to be, right? Yeah. Well, and... Uh, j- yeah, agreed. Agreed. Um, so... The central tension between, certainly in the first book, and it comes into the, the second trade, is that um, the girls touch this time machine. They create, there's a, there's kind of like a rip in space where time, where time travel, like the, the timeline starts to change because these mutant boys are there. And mm-hmm. the grandfather, the leader of the old timers, kind of comes back down and um, and st- starts to set things right, as it were, quote unquote. Yeah, he literally says, no, don't worry about it. I'll go and punish them myself. Like, so, which felt sinister. Um, oh, yeah. Just throwing that out there. And it's important to note that the grandfather himself sort of looks like if, like, a Renaissance god was on his way to yoga. He's got, yep. like... He's got, like, a giant white, like, beautiful mane of hair and, like, giant beard. And he's wearing, like, like an Apple Records t-shirt and some loose drawstring pants. Um, and he commands this group of knights that ride flying dinosaur creatures who their way of setting things right appear to be. And it's, it's kind of left, I would say, intentionally opaque. We don't really know what the old timers are up to. Yeah. Um, but... It seems like what they do when there are these sort of like rifts and things start to change is they try to go to that point, capture as many people as they can, delete what memories they have of the events, and then either kill them if it's not, if they're like too inconvenient, or place them back down to like continue their life as they were quote unquote supposed to. That does seem like what it's supposed to be, um, but there are these images where, you know, you see all these uh, people in, in tubes. Yeah, like a warehouse lair. of people. And, like, I understand that those people might be for processing and they might get returned, but, like, talk about metaphors about consumption, like, literally consuming humans, you know what I mean? I don't mean, like, eating them like a cannibal, guys. I mean, But we like, don't not mean that. They might We don't be. not mean we that. Don't I mean, I don't know. Mean, we don't know. We don't yeah, know what they're doing know. with these people. I, I, assume, yeah. I assume based on... Um, I assume that they're trying to find – they know that there are these troublemakers that can move undetected through the timeline. I don't know what that old timer knows, how far – like, a far ahead he is. Yeah. Because obviously there must be – there must be, like, duplicates and multiples of him as well, 
right? Yeah. Like, depending. So I don't know where he is at if he knows that the paper girls are, like, the the quartet that can move through time. So I kind yeah. of wonder if they're hunting for those people and, like, checking their DNA. That's what I, I assume. I definitely think that they are doing that. Um, it's What's really interesting, I don't know if we've actually touched on this, um, they the reason why everything changes is because of the girls. Um, they go downstairs, they find like in the abandoned house, and they find you know this spaceship, and one of them knocks on it, which kind of activates it, which is when like it kind of goes off, and we find out later that their DNA has been encrypted, and so they're special. They can go through time, but when they leave that house after that machine thing has gone off, that's when everything is changed. That's when. Um, that's when, like, we already had the mutant teenagers coming from the future, but um, that's when the sky becomes ripped open. That's when the old timers become more involved. Like, it does feel like um, they had a hand in this. And so, like, not only are, yeah, the future's coming back to haunt them, but we're feeling the immediacy because this, until they did that, this wasn't the reality. You know what I mean? I they do. created, they kind of created it. Right. So we, you, you alluded to this, but the, the old timers, we don't really know why they want what they want and why they're doing what they're doing, like truly. But I think that the story is peppered with enough symbols of like kind of like the father's knows best attitude yep. of the late 80s and also kind of of the now. Now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe yeah, we never geez. got rid of it. I, I think it's like a pendulum that swings, but like. We're we're at an yeah. apex of the of that right now. I hope. I yep. hope it doesn't go any higher. Um, well, let's all hope not. Right, and we have like symbols of um, pervasively eighties ish, um, and turns out ultimately harmful to future generations. Republican politicians like Reagan um, mm-hmm. and Bush Senior, who Running. who potentially I think Bush Senior is very harmful, mostly because of Bush Junior, but. That's neither here nor there. Um, yeah. And uh, so I think that this story sort of gently steers you to a point of seeing that these children um, are representing those that can imagine a better future and a world for themselves and embrace change like now, like yesterday, like I'm going to go in the past and fix it and make it so. While the old timers have reached some sort of level of power where they where it's very important to them to maintain some sort of status quo, like all the things that happened that led to me being in power were supposed to happen. And I'm going to maintain that as much as possible so that I am not yep. toppled. Um, what is it about like white hegemony and uh, everyone's existential fear of the fact that like <clears throat> white people's existential fear of losing power and control because uh no one wants to be treated the way that they've treated other people. <clears throat> I think so. I'm, I, I think I, I'd say that's a strong, uh, a strong, real good read. Um, good analysis, Johnston. <laughs> Thanks. Um, but I think as the story, uh, I I think that the story I'm giving the story a lot of credit, like just kind of like just from the jump that I think it's yeah. going to get a little bit more like just kind of complicated versus like. Young people are awesome. Old people are monsters because there is like a little bit of they they hint that there are flawed perspectives on both sides. Yep. And so we know that these girls are are able to move undetected and they are they are kind of like the the cornerstone which this conflict between the old timers and 
the young people of the future rest on, right? Yeah. Because they can hop around and whereas and and move undetected so they are more able to go back and change things and and alter the timeline without the old timers realizing it. Yeah. So jumping back to that scene where um, Aaron isn't being informed by KJ's field hockey stick not to trust another version of herself, the way that plays out is a third Aaron enters the story who's probably like... clone. Clone Aaron. Clone Aaron, right. And she uh, informs the girls that... um, uh, that their DNA is encrypted and that the, um, hold on, I'm just kind of moving. And that gives them an advantage in this battle with the old timers, so much so that the forces battling against the old timers are now actively creating a time travel army of paper girl clones. So she yep. is a clone from the future who was replicant of Aaron. And, and, uh, and, and clone Aaron, uh, really does highlight the, this group's flaws by, um, not taking no for an answer and saying, a, she says specifically, um, you three are going to turn the tide of war. I came too far and my people have sacrificed too much for some grown up to throw it away right after attacking older Aaron for being like, this isn't rational. You all don't know this person. Why are you going with her? And that, yeah, that does subvert our idea of, like, the youth are great because that bitch is cray. And we don't know what her motives are because, like, she literally wants these people to, like, end in war. And they're just kids who want to go home, you know? Right. And I think it's also really cool because in that scene, I felt conflicted, too, because I felt yeah. also, like... Older Aaron was kind of talking down to the paper girls and was like, you guys are 12. You can't think about this rationally. Like, don't don't believe this person. And I believe that she is right. But at the same time, I would not a good strategy (laughs) for communicating. No, that's not great. And so what what was fun about it for me is that um, that like original Aaron, original recipe, Aaron, uh, paper girl, Aaron. Classic Coca-Cola classic, Aaron, as uh, Tiffany calls her. Right. um, Knows that community is the most important thing so that when older Aaron kind of entreats the sense of, like, you guys have to keep each other safe. You don't know who this person is. Don't get in a car with that stranger. She That rings true to her. And then even more importantly, when clone Aaron disregards her future, her, like, the older version of herself, even though she's from the future, right? Yeah. Yeah. Aaron knows that that doesn't smell right. Original recipe yeah. Aaron knows it doesn't smell right because they should have a bond and a kinship. And she realizes, oh, this clone is less like me than anybody else in this room. I should not believe them. Yeah. Which is which kind of play, goes back into our sense of safety and community as like the core and uh, and people who don't value that and don't care about that or don't care about that for you are people you should not trust. And I think that's yeah. a pretty good message. All right. So we're a sci-fi podcast and technology is uh, really cool. So it's really interesting that they're putting Apple on blast. Um, but the Apple imagery in this from the very beginning, like our very first page of the volume one trade is Aaron is having this dream and it's holding a red apple and um, 
and is getting tortured basically by a demon that's going to kill uh, her sister if she doesn't answer a question. But the apple keeps coming up. Like, she's pulling out her papers, and there's an apple in the foreground. And and it all leads to to this piece of technology that they find that has an Apple logo we are all very, very familiar with. So this Apple logo goes throughout. When we first see the grandfather, he's wearing it. And so... Um, and I, I loved when, you know, older Erin, I've already mentioned, when she sees this technology, how excited she is about it. And that's exactly how I would feel if someone handed me future tech. I'd be like, fuck yeah, I do want to sync myself up. But um, I think that uh, this this graphic novel, while being concerned with technology in the future, is, um, is very uh, cautious about overconsumption. And that, I think, comes most clearly when uh, the girls are with the two future mutant teenagers and Aaron's being carried and uh, the future teenagers realize that they've been tracked by this translator that they picked up so that the girls could understand what they're saying. And this monster called an editrix, which is also great because like that's what um, a female editor could call herself, um, is coming. Uh, <laughs> and it's this weird monster that has like, eyeball eyes and before they can do anything um tiffany gets uh kind of wrapped up into by the monster and what what proceeds to happen are these amazing set of panels i'm trying to find them right now because i literally have them marked because i i this this book doesn't have any fucking page numbers why is that (laughs) i don't know it's very annoying so, so the editrix comes out uh and wraps this weird square eyeball and the squarishness makes it feel like more technology than organic around her neck. And we see Erin sitting and playing this video game. And she's playing it through the different seasons. And she's playing it on Christmas. And she's playing it on New Year's. And she's on round 21. And she's on round 24. And it's panel after panel. And it's looking around her parent to see it. And outside, you know, there's water. But but you Aaron see the keeps, seasons pass around Yeah, but her. Tiffany keeps playing. And, um, and it ends with the fact that she beats the game uh, and ends up back at round one and looks kind of miserable, but keeps playing again and then gets it back up to round 30 and then goes even higher. And then suddenly uh, KJ has, you know, con and bowled her over and she's been severed from this thing and... Uh, her reaction was, I mean, Cage, my life flashed before my eyes. And Cage, Cage, KJ says, no shit, but you're, we're okay now. And we have to keep... And then she says, I mean, when that thing touched me, I started, like, reliving my past. It was hell. Most of it was just me playing the same dumb game. I don't... I didn't even think I liked it that much. But now I realize... I I basically wasted my entire existence. God, I can still hear it. I can still hear that crappy music. Why didn't I stop when I was at level tw- 28? And, like, other people are talking, and this is, like, but she's still, like, <laughs> she's here. Like, she's still, she, she's, it's, 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 like, almost comical. It's like when you, in scenes and movies where, like, the characters just, like, can't get over it and is like, can you believe that dog? And, like, everyone's like, we're over the dog, dude. Like, keep going. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. it's okay. But, but like, at one point, yeah. like, a, like, a couple of minutes later, she literally, um... Yeah, so so Aaron disappears with these kids, and 
Um, Tiffany is literally still saying, is this a game two? Am I in it all over again? And this monster comes out and a woman who we recognize as being one of the minions of uh, the grandfather. And she's threatening to, like, take the girls and kill them. And KJ says, please don't kill us. We totally give up. And Tiffany says, actually, we don't. And pulls out a gun, points it at her and says, I'm not going to stand here and be eaten by some bitch's dinosaur. I'm finally going to do something with my life. No more Arkanoid. All right. And that's like the name of the game that she was playing. And I that just that moment of going from. I can't tell you how many hours I have wasted playing shitty, stupid games on my phone while putting TV on that I've seen forever before on in the background. And it just hits, you know, your pleasure center because you're like racking in points or whatever. But it is a waste. And to have this character go through that in this in this sci-fi world, in this graphic novel, which is traditionally considered territory for, you know, the, the computer geeks or whatever, and have her say, I was wasting my existence. And then that galvanized her into this moment of bravado and bravery that keeps her and her friends from being just um, warped into uh, the the pink tubes back on the grandfather's ship. I thought that was really strong. I thought that was really cool because I think that there's this like infinite content that we are constantly being barraged with and so easy to just buy in. And I think that it goes with capitalism and how we can become numb to it. But I just... I genuinely loved that moment and um, Tiffany's arc there. Yeah, and I mean, I think, I think, at the very least, you could say it allows a child to have some insight into the t- the way that they have spent their time. Like, yeah. I, I was thinking today as I was like walking for like the third time to the hot water tap at my job to make myself another cup of tea. That, like, a montage of me, like, trudging from my desk to make tea, like, that's probably, like, will, that's not something I will think about on my deathbed, probably, but, like, that is what I should think about because I do it so much, <laughs> like, as opposed to anything else in life. And, and just kind of musing on it. It didn't make me sad, but, you know, just kind of, like, thinking about how we spend our days. And our loops, our repetitions. Yeah, like our little our little patterns that we go we go through our well trodden paths. Um, the reason that we need industrial carpet in basically all public spaces. But I think that it's it sort of plays with this idea that the consumption of technology is um, is a way of controlling people a little bit. Yep. Yep. And I think that we have sort of a sense that um, in the future, kind of these beings like when you see like the like they're riding on dinosaurs or like the mutant teenagers look like lepers like you kind of get the sense that we're going to go back to sort of like a pastoral but dark age and yeah we hear about sea day and the start of the troubles and something called the calamity we're missing the details but something real bad it apparently happens after 2016 watch out guys watch out (laughs) watch out oh wait we're already in the future yeah, um, right. <laughs> but, you know, you have this sort of sense that we're going to kind of return to something that we consider as being very distant past. But technology is going to be like the illuminated texts that get us through or, yeah. or does it. And like the teenagers, right, they've like fly around and they find 
technology from different time periods and like sell it off and that's like a very elaborate form of like ebay right where i get like my pleasure centers tapped when i go back and i'm like i'm gonna get a game boy ice from my childhood but i'm gonna buy it now and then i'll have it and i can play the same games that i beat when i was a kid now as an adult um so the end, definitely I think that there is sort of commentary on Apple. I almost wonder if they picked it, apart from the fact that there's like some, I think there's like a tad more cachet even now with Apple's troubles for Apple versus Google. Oh, um, of course. And but I also mean, the, the tree of knowledge. Like, and, you know, and I, I guess I never realized that that's probably where they got their idea for their logo from until I was reading this. Now I feel silly, but... You know, um, well, um, you shouldn't you shouldn't ever feel silly. You've you've now bit a different piece of the tree of knowledge. It's fine. It's fine. Yes, You're all indeed. good. It's all good. Um, the final the final image of trade two, uh, when all the girls have been reunited, is you get yes. this sort of long view of um of a hill, and yeah, carved, about how safe they are. Yeah, mm-hmm. and carved into it in sort of a crop circlian way, is the Apple logo being sort of levitated between the two claw-like hands of what we assume is, like, is, is like a horned devil creature. Yeah, a demon of some sort, for yeah. for sure. And that, and I did love that that is where we uh, ended, because it, sinister things could be happening. Let's see what's gonna on with the paper girls. Yep, that's my that's my original song, guys. I loved that's, it. That's the kind of singing I'm really good at. This so. is this is the this is the content people want. These are the ringtones <laughs> that people this is what want. Back for this is this is the service we we supply. Yeah, um, guys. Maybe one day we'll have bonus content like ringtones of me singing that song. Come on, oh who doesn't God. want that? There's going to be so many ringtones of me singing. <laughs> I'm just even thinking about it now. Like and like the, and the fact that I'm gonna make them is even funnier. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> but so, I'm gonna be like, people are. This is what the people want. People, this is what the people want. <laughs> Give the people what they want. Don't don't people want to hear me doing some like gentle riffing on a musical number from a from a musical that came out before I was definitely alive? Um. um yes. Yeah. Yes. Who doesn't want what? that? Who doesn't? Who isn't there just an enormous call for um, Man of La Mancha parody theater? Come on! Yes. So I yeah. think I'm ready to talk about why this is important. Are you ready to talk about? Me why too. Hell I yeah. am. Hell yeah. Um. So as we do with everything, uh, why is the story? We do every every episode. Is this a, why is this an important piece of media? And do we recommend it? Take it away, Kate. Um, I think it's an important piece of media because not only is it uh, interesting, varied, uh, touches on a lot of different uh, thematic elements, like you're clearly seeing the surface of something that has a much deeper well, so the kind of world building you're going to get to engage in is really cool. But at the heart of it, there are very, very, very few male characters in this. And I don't mean that as like a when you put a man in something, it sucks. I just mean the strength and the bond between these women and the uplift and empowerment of them caring for each other and trying to keep each other alive. Um, It's genuinely special. Uh, Mary mentioned that it was kind of like a darker version of Lumberjanes. It feels more gritty, more realistic. And so it's, it's the flawed people who still 
are doing the work of caring for one another. That's great. And I love that one of them is a woman of color. I love that one of them uh, is Jewish. I love that one of them we're going to find out is maybe definitely gay and just has some uh, internalized homophobia. You know, like I I really I think it's really just great. I, I love these characters. I would agree. And I think that this primarily this story is feminist. I consider the story so feminist because it builds a world around like the structure of friendship between girls and not women, but girls like yeah. kind of your your formative years. And um, and even more importantly, the complex relationship they have with themselves, yeah. which they weave in via their time traveling device in very clever ways. Yeah. Um, like that scene where that you read where uh, where middle age Aaron or where older Aaron is interacting with young her younger self and saying like I'm such a dis- I must be such a disappointment to you when you look at me yeah you must. and and young Shut Aaron's up, like don't call yourself fat that's something dad would say yeah and younger Aaron is that. like of course not like of course you were me why would I be disappointed in you and yeah. I think. I think that it also touches lightly on the concept that aging and time is so different for women. We have kind of like a, an expedited expect. We have more things that we have to fit into a smaller amount of time. We have to make it professionally. We have to make sure that we like take care of ourselves because there's so much emphasis put on our physical our appearance, our, our appearance yeah. and, and physical our form. capability physically. Right. Yeah. Like and now it's not even enough to be like conventionally pretty. Now we also have to be like strong and also like not have any hang ups about our bodies too. Like there's just a lot of and yeah. also we have this sense that like you need to bust out a kid if you want one. You've got a very finite time. Oh my so, God. Yeah. The number of times that you get like encountered with well, I mean, if you really want kids, um, right? You got to think about these things, and none of yeah, those things. Everyone can fuck off, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I'll think about it while I want to think about it. That's right. Anyway, that's right. But I no. also love everyone being like, "There's never a great time," and I'm like, "Yeah, but there are better mm. times than this." Yeah, you're also <laughs> when people say that, I'm always like, "Would you say that to a 16 year old?" Yeah, that's what I thought. So, um, right? <laughs> no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Um, Right. So I think that kind of like playing with the concept of time and it being a story primarily about women is really is really smart. Yeah. Additionally, you have uh, the, the, the core conflict of this are you have these young women being repeatedly um, told to listen to older and wiser men and it be so clear that the reason those men want those young women to kind of like to to get in line, as it were, is because they're threatened by their power. Yeah. Um, and to lay that out in a way that is that is so consumable and enjoyable yeah. and still yeah. subtle and interesting um, is awesome. And, you know, these are things to, to interlace that with th- with the fact that this is going to truly impact their future yeah. And then placing in time travel as a device that allows them to kind of like play around in that space and kind of tap the perimeter and test the waters of, yeah. of whose future it is, is such a fresh take on time travel that I think it deserves the attention of any sci-fi fan, frankly. And as a person who is approaching 30 and approaching as clone Aaron says... The, the time, age when we all become monsters. The age when we all become monsters. Um 
I think it's nice that to kind of remember, you know, children are our time travelers. The decisions I make, the people I vote for, the way I live my life yeah. now will not probably affect me because my life is approaching the halfway point. Like, you know. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Come on. Let's, well, let's back that down. You're not going to die at 60, all right? We're, yeah. Well, anyway, shut it down. No. Shut it down. I mean, like, 10, 10 15 years time. But, you okay. know, but, like, but, which is which is still far away, right? But, like, the decisions I'm making now, I probably won't yeah. have to live with the, like, horrible consequences. Just Absolutely. Like, just like the fact that, you know, the... Um, the greatest generation didn't really have to live with the consequences of their actions, right? Yeah. Like, we just no, kind of... I, we kind I of, love that concept of the kids as time travelers, because you're right. They're, they are. They're so influenced by everything that we do before them. So, as an older reader in this world, right, I am... Or on the, on the edge of monsterdom, I can appreciate... <laughs> I appreciate sort of this reminder that it's so easy to become part of the problem. Yeah. So I think I think it's an important and, and nuanced uh, nuanced story. So yeah, I love that read. Do you recommend it? I would highly recommend it. It's gorgeous. It's it's really fun. Um, and I don't know if you've already bought the other trades, but I really plan on it because I wanna I wanna see where it goes. I'm invested in these girls. I do feel like those first two trades together are great because it does end in like kind of a satisfying place, like not um like the story's clearly not over, but it's not like so cliffhangery that like you know. Yeah, I mean, if you it's like keep you up at night. Yeah, like you, it, it's a good place to start. And uh, speaking of buying the trades, I also oh, yes. I also heartily recommend these comics to our listeners, um, and I, I I would encourage all of you to stop by um, your local independent comic book shop to pick up yes. um, the issues or a trade. But if you're not going to do that, though. <laughs> yeah, that's not always an option for everybody, and we understand that. Um, I do want to say, though, that these trades are, like, so inexpensive on Amazon right now, it's stupid. Like, the first trade is, like, eight bucks. That's yeah. nothing. For, as you, If people who read trade paperbacks know, that's nothing. Like, that's cheap. Um, yeah, that's two cups of coffee, guys. Sometimes just one cup of coffee, depending on how fancy your coffee is. That's true. That's for true. just one cup of coffee. You too. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's much. It's like it's like <laughs> one fourth of an average Thai delivery. <laughs> um, so uh, if you do purchase uh, Paper Girls from Amazon, um, we would really appreciate if you use our affiliated link found in the description for this episode or on our website. Um, it's a, a win-win because you get yeah, a great book and you support Space Bros at the same time. Hooray! You're supporting uh, an amazing piece of literature. You're supporting uh, your own enjoyment. And hell yeah, support us. Because, guys, this is a labor of love. We have out-of-pocket paid for things like, you know, microphones like and everything. streaming rights and everything. <laughs> um and we'd like to get to a point where it doesn't cost us to do this because we really enjoy it. And um, I think we all know that, yeah, 
My but promise that stuff is good. My promise to you right now is that I will never shill for something that I do not truly believe you should buy. I will never Hell tell yeah. you. I will never tell you to purchase Passengers on on Amazon because it's not a good movie. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It, you can you can hate watch it on one of those like ripped from YouTube thing where it's like in a frame of a picture that's being held by <laughs> like snooty looking butler. You do not need to buy mo- that pay money for that. Do a free trial for Stars and watch it there. I'm never going to shill for that, but I will shill for Paper Girls because I believe it's an excellent, excellent comic book. Awesome. All right. So I think that's it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. Yay. So to give you a little preview, um, we're mixing it up a little bit in honor of October and Halloween, which some might argue myself that this is the kickoff of the best string of holidays that we, we got. Um, Hell fucking yeah. Agreed. You're right. This is a kickoff of four dope holidays. Yes. And October, which is like the best, most packed, most crazy, busy, fabulous month there possibly is in the whole Always. the whole 12 months that we got. Always. We're going to be briefly shifting our gaze off sci-fi and onto supernatural and horror media for our next two episodes. And we're going to start with uh, Anna Biller's film, The Love Witch, which is a satirical look on the femme fatale archetype and 1960s horror aesthetic. I'm really excited about this I'm one. really excited. I, I watched the trailer and I, I, I cannot wait. It's going to be dope. We're going and in. That's, we're going sorry. in blind. It's exciting. Yeah. Uh, and if you want to do your homework and watch The Love Witch uh, before you um, consume this podcast, it's available to stream on Amazon. But if you're going to buy it, again, affiliated link to get that Blu-ray. Boom. Well, thanks for listening to Space Bras. Head on over to Apple Podcast or the platform of your choice to subscribe rate, and leave us a review. Be sure to visit outrageousmechanisms.com slash space bras. That's S-P-A-C-E dash B-R-A-S to see our show notes and find other excellent podcasts. And now, join us as we raise our glasses and give the official toast of space bras. In these troubled times, we must remember that even though everyone might suck, we are awesome and the galaxy is ours. Cheers!